Do you ever struggle while playing disc golf in the woods? Maybe it's losing your disc, hitting that early tree, not making your putts. Playing disc golf in the woods can be really challenging. In today's episode, we bring on David Feltz, who is a very good woods player and has tons of experience playing in the Seattle woods, and he shows us how we can all collectively improve our woods disc golf games, giving us tips and tricks on what you need to do in order to score better in your woods tournaments, woods league nights, or just your casual woods rounds, because let's face it. Disc golf is a lot more fun when you're playing better. This episode is designed to help you play a little bit better in the woods while also learning a thing or two about your upshots. If you're like Trenton and I and you're in that intermediate amateur level, then your upshots definitely need some work and woods and all those trees might be a little bit scary. This is a great episode to learn from and hear some new and amazing stories. To get into today's episode, I wanted to give a huge shout out to our Patreon supporters. In the Ace Club, we've got Daffy Duck WOT, Eagle Club, Brady Beaker, and Brian Pittman, as well as in our Birdie Club, we've got Frank Suchi, Kevin Johnson, and Ben Wood. Thank you guys so much for your support over on Patreon. We've still got a couple spots that we're still giving away. If you join our Patreon, we will give you a disc from my collection and a disc from Trent's collection. So the first 10 people who join our Patreon, we're going to be doing that for. So get over there, get those awesome benefits, and get one of our discs. It's a pretty good deal. You can get a disc for very, you can get two discs for very cheap over there. So go ahead, check it all out. Thank you guys so much for your support. Let's get into today's episode right now. Hi, I'm David Feltz, and you're listening to the Chain Clankers Podcast. Alrighty, everyone, super excited to have David on the show with us today. He's already picked up a W this year on the local scene in tournaments. He's been playing on fire. David, how are we doing tonight, man? Oh, I'm doing great, guys. How about yourselves? I am doing fantastic. It's a beautiful day here in the good old town of Wichita, and we get to talk disc golf tonight, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, as I have uh, renamed the season, it's it's no longer spring slash summer. It's just rain season. We are in the, the monsoon season. I feel like every week lately, it has been four days of rain followed by one really nice day, three days of 30 mile per hour winds, and then the rain is back. And the nice day is always on a Friday while I'm at work. Yeah. Yeah. But... Uh, yeah, man. David, thanks for coming on. I know we've talked about it a little yeah, bit definitely. and uh, really looking forward to getting this conversation rolling. So let's go ahead and get it started. So let's hear a little bit about your um, disc golf past and kind of how long you've been playing and what you, you know, I guess. Yeah, just let's just hear about how long. Yeah, you've been dude, playing. definitely. So uh, I started playing right around 10 years ago. Uh, it was in 2012. I was literally like days away from moving up to Seattle and a couple of my coworkers were like, Hey, you want to play disc golf? And I was like, well, I like golf and frisbees. So sure, let's do it. Uh, so yeah, I went out, uh, Oak park. I think it's the first course for a lot of people around this area. Uh, first hole just threw it 40 feet straight into the ground. Just so embarrassing, but it was awesome. So I asked for a second disc and the next one drilled the backstop on hole one. So that was just like, all right, that was when they, you know, the flip got switched 
And I just loved disc golf from that minute on. Literally gave away my actual golf clubs that day because I wanted, I was like, nope, disc golf, that's my golf now. And uh, since then, like I said, that was day one. Uh, I've played quite a few different places across the country. Really got my start up in Seattle, that area. So I really enjoy woods golf more than anything. Uh, and so since then, have moved back to Wichita and have just really, really enjoyed the scene here. Play a little bit of leagues here and there. Ended up playing more with uh, my, my buddies in the Ninja Branch more than anything. Uh, but at this point, uh, disc golf is just a, a wonderful hobby that I am super, super passionate about. And I am more than anything grateful that I actually have it in my life. So what was different between the first throw that went 40 feet and the second throw that hit the backstop? What, what was the difference there? <laughs> the fact that my friend said the target's up there and not the ground. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I know, dude. Like trash talking me right off the bat. I'm, basically, he was like, dude, you rolled your wrist so bad. Uh, so that was kind of like, oh, okay. So I need to keep my wrist more flat. And for a little bit, I actually started using a, uh, a, a bowling you know, wrist straightener kind of thing. And that would kind of help me, you know, ooh, I might lose power here at some point. Uh, <laughs> uh, and that really helped me, you know, keep my, my hand flat and made it for a, a better shot. Kept the disc more flat. And, you know, depending on stability, that's exactly what you want for a shot like that, especially throwing forehand. So that is definitely a new one for me. I don't know that I've ever heard anybody say they've used. So the bowling, like the wrist, it, it was. Yeah, it, it, lock, kept, it, your yeah, it keeps your like wrist that. from really flopping around a whole lot. And it, it really makes you cognizant of like what the location of your palm is. Because, you know, a lot of times you're throwing, you know, like, oh, shit, I thought that was flat. And then, oh, it turns out, no, you're at kind of a, a sharp angle there. Uh, so that it really more than anything, it made me really aware of the position my hand was in when I was releasing a disc. So what made you be a predominant forehand player? Did you play baseball or anything like that? <laughs> Literally played one season of baseball in uh, grade school. But the funny thing is my dad, uh, when we first started playing Frisbee as a little kid, it was, it was forehand. He was always throwing forehand. So I learned how to throw forehand before I ever learned how to throw backhand. Uh, and so, yeah, I'd say like at this point still 90, 95% of my shots are probably going to be forehand. I can attest. I've played a few rounds with, with the man, and uh, it's it's literally every shot you would never – I would probably never even consider throwing a forehand, and Felty's over there just just chucking them. Doesn't matter which way the, the, the hole is supposed to go. He's he's turning it over or whatever it might be, throwing it. He's, he's throwing amazing shots. So kind of what – what made you so comfortable with throwing the forehand on, on those lines that no one else throws? Um, so a lot of them, and this has probably happened more in the last two, three years, I've learned to slow it down. I, I used to, you know, just throw almost as hard as I can with almost every disc, which is stupid because you're going to hurt your shoulder, your elbow, your wrist. Uh, so I started throwing slower discs and I started, you know, like manipulating the angles more. I mean, it's, it's basic stuff that everyone should be doing anyhow. And a lot, a lot of backhand people can do it better. But again, since I'm so much more comfortable throwing forehand, I have to learn how to do these forehand. So it's a matter of really slowing the torque down when you're throwing the disc. Uh, because I mean, you'll get those understable discs to stand up just right. Or if you throw them on the right angle, you get them to flip over just enough. But as they're slowing down, you know, they always come back. Well, I wish they always came back. They usually come back. 
Is it, for people who don't know you, not from the Wichita area, how often would you say you go to the forehand? I know we've said you're kind of a forehand predominant player, but are you like Sarah Holcomb level of forehand dominant? Or is it just, you know, maybe more eagle level pre-injury where it's really <laughs> nice to have, throws it a lot, but, you know, that's not always the shot. Oh, it is it is almost always the shot for me. A little bit more lately, I'm starting to get more comfortable throwing uh, backhands, but... Still, it's kind of one of those, you know, do you work on something that you're okay at and make yourself really good at it? Or do you work on something you're bad at and make yourself okay at it? So it's like, I'll I'll focus on my strengths. So I'm generally going to go with the forehand route. That's interesting. I know um, you hear that a lot just in life in general to focus, focus on your strengths. Well, I take that back. You hear that a lot to focus on things that maybe you aren't so good at. And that's kind of an interesting take. A lot of people, I know for sure for me, I was pretty good at forehand at first and then who knows why I decided I wanted to work on backhand and now that's like all I throw and it's turned around and my forehand is kind of the dis- the choice I don't trust so that's a it's an interesting take but I think that can be useful for a lot of people especially that listen to our podcast you know a lot of people are trying to find things and get better at the game of disc golf and that's a good tip focus if you're really good at forehand grab the understable discs you might I mean, at least when I started, I threw a lot of overstable stuff, grab the understable disc, go to the field, work on throwing any kind of disc on a forehand and kind of see what happens. And who knows, you might, you might love it. So, so kind of what I want to get into next is when you were talking about in your journey, how you played with a couple of your coworkers and then went up to Seattle what was the disc golf scene like there? I know you said it was kind of wooded, but can you go into more detail about maybe just the differences and how the vibe was up there? Well, you know, I never got into the leagues. I was I was only up there for about a year or so, and there was probably a good three or four month break where I, I hardly touched the disc at all just because at, the, at that time I didn't really have anyone to play with. Uh, and then one day I mentioned disc golf to one of my coworkers, just like, oh, it's such a nice day. I should go play disc golf. And he flipped out. He had no idea that I played disc golf. I had no idea he played disc golf. So found another friendship up there. Um, but yeah, dude, I got to say, the, some of the courses up there, as far as the woods go, I mean, they are like our Colwich on steroids, just trees so thick you can't see through them during the, the really high growth season. Although I will say the nice thing about most of the courses up there was there was a lot of uh, free blackberries that grew wild on the courses. Always good to have a snack. Yeah, and a healthy <laughs> snack at that sounds fantastic. My wife is on a huge blackberry kick, so I'm eating those way more than I probably <laughs> ever have in my whole life. But that is that's amazing. Um, I couldn't imagine that's uh, we talk about it a little bit traveling around to play, but that would be. I think that would be a beautiful, I mean, it would obviously be beautiful, but that would be a really fun place to go play. Is there, is it heavily populated up there? Is there a lot of courses? Or Dude, I got to say, you know, I've always told people we are really spoiled here in Wichita and we, we have so many courses at our fingertips. I mean, I could probably name at least 20, 25 that are within a 45 minute drive from here, depending on how fast you drive. Uh, but up there, you know, they had a few really, really good courses, um, but I'd, I'd say as far as the amount versus the people, yeah, they were going to be all always way more crowded than our courses are going to be just because of the sheer amount of courses we have compared to the population we have too. Um, but just, just like anywhere, you know, they've got their own special courses that are a hundred percent unique to them. Uh, so some of those wooded courses, I mean, if you didn't have a couple extra sets of eyes, you were looking at losing plastic almost every single time you played it. Jeez. 
That's crazy. That like when I first got into disc golf, and if you're kind of like how I was, and you're listening to this right now, leave a like on YouTube, comment down below if this is you also. But I literally would not go play by myself because I was incapable of finding my disc. I don't know what it was, and I well, I am blind. I am definitely legally blind, so that is part of it. But like any time I would throw it into the woods or just tree line, I could not find my disc for the life of me. And my buddy that I very first got into disc golf with that I would go play with, I had to have him with me because he would find my disc in like two minutes and I would not be, I could look for 20 minutes. I would never find that disc. So I definitely understand that. And that, and something I feel the more I've played, I've really stopped doing the, you know, bad shot look away because if I do that, I'm probably not finding that disc. I I need to see where it lands and I got to just walk straight towards it. Or even then I still might not be able to pick it up. Yep. So interestingly enough, you are correct. Wichita does have a ton of courses in the area and surrounding area. What do you think is the reason for that? You know, maybe you know the Wichita disc golf history a little better than myself or Trenton. Like, what is it about this area that makes disc golf so popular? And, 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 you know, like, what is the reason for the growth here? Wouldn't it be easier for these bigger cities to, you know, have more courses, more people playing, more following behind it yeah well part of it is you, you got to know the right people and a lot of the guys that we've had on the air cap board in the past um especially some of the older guys that have actually been around and kind of built the disc golf scene here you know like jeff priest and bill paulson uh it's it's look at them look at what them and, and buddy and so many of these other guys I'm, i apologize for all the names i'm not mentioning um but these guys have really helped build this scene up uh you know on top of the fact that they put in all the man hours to help us out, they know the right people that are like, you know, on the city council or city managers, planning boards, committees and stuff like that. So you kind of have to have people in those positions that are already a little interested. Uh, so, you know, if your city manager likes to play disc golf, chances are you're going to be seeing more courses po- popping up. Um, I mean, as is with Wichita, I mean, you guys see it as much as I do. It seems like we have another course put in about every year, year and a half, if not even quicker than that. And <laughs> we're, we're blessed for that. That's for sure. Yeah, I definitely agree. I feel like courses are popping up all over the place and we're, we're definitely lucky to have that and have a city council and a city that is open and, you know, willing to allow these public areas to be used for our wonderful sport. And if your town is not go get in front of those people, see what you can do to that was a really loud thunder. <laughs> was that you? Was that my your mic? My son might wake up. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that was me. I don't know if I'm going to leave that um, in, but that was crazy. Dude, yeah, I'm, I'm watching the storm from out the window right now above the lake behind my house, and it is, uh, it's fun. Trent, I just, that wow. thunder that you heard, I my son it, doesn't it wake just up. got I said, to it, me I just, just heard that one now, too. Yeah. Dad, it was crazy. Yeah, <laughs> Godspeed to, to your child because <laughs> that was um, loud. No, but what I was saying, my dogs are below uh-huh. my feet panicking. But um, what I was saying, go get in front of your, your city council members, you know, or anyone that you know and see what you can do to get some more courses in your area because it is a great thing and it's a great thing for the town. And I also want to talk about this, Feltz, because I know that you help with this. How is the um, the – I'm going to butcher the name, but the league that you're, uh, the, the, uh, the ICT uh, mini bombers. 
<laughs> yeah, I feel really bad. There I haven't go. been around How's as that? much this season. Uh, between going on vacation to Yellowstone for a couple weeks and uh, having DDO and a couple other obligations going on, um, but uh, it seems like every time I've gone, we have more and more kids show up to these things, uh, barring any other you know activities keeping them from coming. So we've had a lot of interest. Uh, Kenny Underkoffler has just done a fantastic job keeping these kids interested. It helps that he, you know, works in the schools. So we've kind of finished up the school season, so to speak. But unfortunately, uh, and you guys can attest to this, it seems like Thursdays are just notorious for cruddy weather this year. So we and Thursday nights are the nights we take these kids out, and so we we've had to cancel quite a few times this year. Uh, but the kids that do come, I mean, they'll still want to play even in crap like this. They'll learn one of these days, look it up, you know, and have those old bones. Uh, but uh, they, they, you know, they are, they're the future. And some of these kids, I'm just, let's just say I'm glad I'm going to age out into the age restricted divisions in a few years before I have to play against them any, because there's enough kids in town that uh, we could have just a team of little mini bombers that could take out, I'd say almost any junior team I've seen. Yeah, see, you're lucky because, you know, you're, you're getting closer to that where I know I, I'm the youngest sitting here and I know that I'm going to have to spend the next 20 years going against all these <laughs> yep, kids yep. and they're going to be more athletic than me. They're going to throw further than me. They're going to make more putts than me. So, like, I really got to be on my grind if I'm trying to keep up with it. But, hey, that's what makes disc golf so exciting and that's what we want to see. Like, for us personally, that kind of sucks because we might not do as well or win as much. But for the sport and the growth of the sport – that is so critical. And that's, you know, one of the core values I'd say of our brand and our show is that growing the sport is critical and doing it the right way is critical. And yeah, like Trent was saying, I, what, what you're doing with those kids is just absolutely fantastic, man. Hats off to you for that. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I, I really enjoy helping them out. It's uh, a lot of fun when I can, you know, drag my own nieces and nephews out there too to, you know, kind of spur them on. But yeah, dude, I'm telling you, these kids, the ones that have, just their interest is it's amazing seeing how much they grow how much they've developed i mean you know it's one thing to say oh i tripled my distance but these kids are tripling they're quadrupling their distance from the first time just with a couple little tweaks here and there bill will tell them something kenny will give them a, a little tip here and there and i mean some of these kids like one of them i unfortunately have not seen him in a little bit but there's a kid that he throws almost nothing but rollers and the other kids tell him he's a cheater because you shouldn't be able to roll you're supposed to throw a disc and he can roll from nice. pin to pin, no problem. Hey, there are times where I wish I could throw a roller, and I have absolutely <laughs> no confidence in that. So if he can master that at a young age, that might be tough to beat because I don't think – I mean, you don't throw a roller very often even at the Pro Tour level, but if someone gets really, really good at it – Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, like – What what kind the, of – You have. see the rollers that go like, you know, 100 feet plus out of bounds long, and it's like – what I I can't do that not not on purpose anyhow maybe accidentally yeah for sure well I think this has been a great discussion so far a little bit about your story and your background into disc golf and I know during our little pre-show discussion we were talking about some of your strengths and some of those are upshots and playing in the woods and I want to explore that a little bit more selfishly because I've been sucking at my upshots lately and it's not like it's the like 200 foot and in range I'm talking the like almost 70 ish foot range where you can't 
really jump putt it. You kind of still have to, you know, do an upshot, you know, 75 to 125-ish range where it's not a putt. You, you're having an upshot. So give me, what are three tips that you have or things that you were thinking about when you are doing an upshot? Uh, for me, for the upshots, um, more often than not, it's getting out of trouble because I've put myself just in the sticks off my drive. Uh, so it's kind of like, all right, I, I know I got to get up there. I I don't necessarily need this to go in the bucket off of this shot. That'd be nice. Um, but it's just a matter of, uh, you know, what angle am I going to try to hit? Is What obstacles do I have? The, the things that I should be thinking about on my drive are kind of hammered in when I go to throw that up shot. I'm actually more a little bit more cognizant of what the wind's doing, what direction it's coming from. Uh, you know, what kind of obstacles are in my way on the way up to the basket? Uh, like, what kind of route do I have available? Am I in the woods? In which case, you know, I'm going to be throwing something a little bit softer, probably a little straighter, because uh, more often than not, those kicks you get are terrible. Uh, but the lucky ones, those are the ones that people remember. So, you know. When you're thinking about everything, um, you said something about your you're aiming for if it goes in the basket, that's a bonus. But what are, what exactly are you looking to do? Are you trying to just get within yeah, the comfort exactly. zone? Yeah, exactly. You want to set yourself to... up for a, an easier shot than what you just had. Uh, so you know, if if whatever direction the wind is, I'm going to maybe try to set myself up for a tailwind putt versus a headwind putt. I'm going to try to set myself up for and for, for me personally, I prefer to putt uphill than downhill. I tend to do better putting uphill, so I'm going to try to set myself for an uphill putt instead of a downhill putt. You know try to stay away from what's going to possibly be a death putt for me. If it's going to be some water, you know, I might uh, err on the side of caution and probably put the disc between me and the basket versus putting it to the side of the basket or even past the basket. What is your go-to upshot disc and why? More often than not, it's going to be my justice. uh, Just because I know that the angles that I can throw it on pretty well, um, I know about what kind of direction it's going to skip or, and about how much distance it's going to skip, if it's going to skip, you know, depending on which plastic I choose to throw it in. And it, for me, it's just a, an incredibly reliable disc. It's gotten me out of more jails than it has gotten me into trouble. So I, I just lean really heavy. And as, as a forehand dominant player, it's fantastic being able to hold up that torque. Uh, so yeah, more often than not, it's going to be the justice. Now, if it's going to be uh, like a straighter kind of upshot, like say in the woods or something like that, uh, if if I'm feeling up to it, I can throw a, a warship on kind of a, a gentle flick that'll stand up, and that thing will go pretty straight for a little while before it comes back out of it. And for those of you who don't know, warship is, I would probably call it a understable mid, eh, maybe stable to understable mid, and then justice is a very overstable. It's called a mid range. I don't know. What do you think, Phil? Is it? A oh, definitely. Or is it a? No, no, Just, I, I don't putt with the justice. Now the slammer, that's that's a justice putter right there. Look pretty cool. I've not, I've never thrown a slammer or a pig before, but I definitely have thrown my justice a fair share of times. And yeah, I, I really think it's a very reliable disc. All arm speeds can use it to some degree, even if you're brand new and you just know it's going to be a beefcake and just maybe aim if you're on a forehand a little bit more left or a backhand a little bit more right and just understand and trust that the disc is going to work. I think a big mistake, and this has been a mistake that I make so often, I make it in the woods, I make it in the open, it doesn't matter, is I'll take my overstable disc 
And instead of aiming my body right and just trusting and being okay with the disc coming up like 10, 15 feet to the right of the pin, I'll instead throw closer or right at the pin. And by the time my hyzer's out, now you're 15, 30, 45 feet to the left of the pin and you're in a worse spot. So that's definitely something that if you're newer or if you've never thrown a justice before, I highly recommend just change your aiming point a little bit because it's going to be stable. And at least my lucid one has stayed pretty stable through the beatdown that <laughs> I put it through. But talking about the woods, talking about accuracy, upshots, all those things, I think the woods disc golf is significantly more difficult than just wide open disc golf because you're forced to almost work your disc more than in the woods. Like let's, if you come up 200 short in an open hole, well, whatever, you'll throw an, an upshot. You will probably get there. Maybe you don't, but in the woods, if you're two, let's say you're 200 short and you're pinched off. Well, now it might take you three throws to get around the corner to get back to the pin. So, so I want to ask you, you know, you had a fantastic performance at the Colwich tournament this year. What are some things that you're doing when you're playing in the woods that maybe is different from when you're playing at a wide open? Well, course? one thing I find is I am taking shots from my knee way more frequently when I'm in the woods because you know you got to get down into those branches. You got a lot of low ceilings, and I uh, I think I have a, a slight advantage, and I think a, a lot of other guys can attest to this uh, because I am so tall. So even though I'm dropped down on my knees, I still have enough. Uh, space to where I can really get a full swing in with my my arm. Kind of like you see Nico when he straddle putts. Uh, I can almost do that even from my knees. Um, so I have a lot of experience doing that. Um, and then as far as just actual woods golf, it's kind of, you know, it, it helps to obviously play the course and know the lines. Uh, know that even though there's a ton of trees here, there's actually a good size gap here or a good size gap there. And depending on the course you're at, you can even, you know, maybe go over the top on some of this. Uh, this time of year, I'm probably not throwing anything over the top because it's going to get stuck up there and I might find it in the winter, maybe not. Uh, but yeah, it's just really a matter of, like, like you said, kind of looking for the, the places that I know what this disc can do, where it can go, and, and finding those pockets and hitting them. Do you practice in field work like throwing from a knee or like how often do you work on that? Or is that just something that you pull out when you have uh, to be fair? I actually do throw from the knee a little bit more uh, just because a lot of the times, like if I'm throwing a, a, a putt into a headwind uh, for me, depending on where the basket is uh, you know, it's, it's, it's better to throw it from straight at it than for me to throw necessarily down at it. And, you know, uh, with the wind, a lot of the times here, it helps to get lower. You know, sometimes the wind's only coming up about chest high so if you can get yourself out of the wind as much as you can, uh, the better off you're going to be. That's a fantastic tip. Never really thought about it, but uh, especially, I mean, that would have been helpful when we tried to play on Sunday <laughs> in that ridiculous wind. Yeah, or even, on or Memorial even Day. Saturday. Well, more, yeah, Memorial Day was oh, a yeah. really bad day when we tried to go go play Herman in the wind. That was absolutely brutal. And something that I know I've done when playing in the woods or in the high wind or whatever is maybe I'll step up to my justice or a zone sometimes, sometimes even a tilt if it's if if it's windy and I just feel like I. I'm not going to trust my putter yeah. for whatever reason. And I feel like the overstability mm -hmm. will help me. Is that something where the overstability really doesn't matter? It's more about the wind is going to either knock it down or, or raise it up. 
most more times than not, like like I, I've never even thought about going from a knee, but I wonder if going from a knee would be more helpful than changing your putter to uh, a mid range that's more overstable or you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I got to say, as far as being in the wind and, and same, I I played oak yesterday with my buddies. I did not hit a single birdie. Thankfully, I didn't take last place. Uh, and then I went and got beat down by Ben Wiggins out at Little Alley Park in uh, Bel Air for our little Wample match. Um, but <laughs> Yeah, uh, disking up in the wind is definitely a good idea, more than it's not. Uh, so, yeah, some of the times it's like, well, yeah, normally I would throw my justice here. I might disc up to my felon, depending on you know what the situation is and how much skip I can afford. When you're playing in the woods, are you throwing kind of like we were just talking about justice's felons? Like, are you throwing more overstable stuff or do you find yourself throwing more neutral discs because you have to uh, Yeah, I do lines? tend to go with my more beat-in disc so i got a, a felon that goes almost dead straight these days and then yeah i'll, I'll go with like a vandal or uh maybe uh, back to the, the warship or the, an evidence or something like that so i do tend to uh go with a lower stability when i'm in the woods for the most part yeah you might have said something earlier but being more forehand dominant f- with those more understable discs you just you just try to take it a lot easier or what exactly are you focusing on when you're throwing those yeah exactly like putting hardly any shoulder into it going more like elbow and wrist kind of thing very touch very finesse kind of shots and the the better you can get those the better you're gonna go how are you able to get finesse and touch on shots and not have them hyzer out too early uh it's just again being cognizant of like make sure you don't throw this too hard don't don't put too much speed on it. Don't give it a chance to really get out of the way. I mean, sometimes they do still get away. It's still kind of a, you know, really fine tuning that, that needle to where you need it to stop exactly where you need it to stop. And I, I still struggle with that a little bit, but you know, the more you get out and practice, the, the more you'll learn your discs, the more you'll be able to do it, you know, on command, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And talking about practice, then if you have a tournament, that's in the woods is it better or even league it really doesn't matter if, if you find yourself playing in the woods or you, you're struggling in the woods and you want to get better what do you think is better going to a wide open field and trying to imagine there are woods and trying to throw lower you know hit tighter lines or whatever or is it better to just go to that course and just pretty much throw your entire bag on every hole I think you should go to the course, like actually get your feet wet, you know, uh, because you're not going to find those weird lines that you don't really realize are there out on the field. Uh, not as easily as you, you know, you can while you're actually at the course. Cause it's amazing. Sometimes, you know, you see these local routes and uh, some of them are like perfect for, for a shot you might have in your bag. And you find you're just going to do that every single time. And all of a sudden you start racking up your birdies on that hole. Makes sense. So when you go out to get ready for leagues or woods play or whatever, um, are you throwing? I guess you are. You said you're. You said you are looking for um, these different lines. But are you doing anything different? I mean, I've heard a tip that you walk the course backwards. Are you? Um, or we've talked about that tip a few times. Or are you doing anything like out of the normal? Or are you literally just going out there and playing the course and just kind of? soaking it all in as you're as you're looking around yeah just kind of the experience getting out there um looking for you know what is there really a a viable option for a forehand line here or am i going to be forced to actually throw a backhand or or bar it maybe i'll even have to throw a little roller from here which 
rollers are great in the woods when there's no trees in the way. So, uh, but yeah, it's, it's just, I think the experience itself is really the best thing to do. And when you have to throw, sorry, Quentin, when you have to throw these, um, shots you aren't as comfortable with, what are you really focusing on and trying to make sure you're doing to uh, execute the shot? Um, you know, I'll kind of like pick a, a point where they're like, okay, there's this clump of trees. If I can get past this clump of trees, then this is going to be, this is an, a, I'm a shot I'm fine with, you know, this is a, a good shot. Um, and so it's just kind of breaking it down into little micro goals and hitting those goals along the way. And, you know, you're going to have bad holes. Everyone has bad days. And so even if you don't hit those goals, it's don't let that eat you up. Finish the hole out as best you can and forget about it. Just on to the next one. It's a completely new hole when you get to the next pad. Yeah, I really like that. And something that I'm interested to learn more about is when you're having those bad holes in the woods, and let's say your drive is significantly off of the fairway, how can you scramble better to save par, save bogeys, not take big numbers? Like what what tips do you have for scrambling out of the woods? You know, this is one that gets me in trouble so many times. I'm glad you mentioned this. And it's a lesson I still have a hard time learning is look for the highest percentage shots. You're not necessarily going to get a huge distance, but as long as you make the next shot an easier shot, that's, that is the biggest goal when you've already, you know, gone off, off course on, on one of the holes is just get out and, you know, stop the bleeding as, as quickly as you can, uh, as, as safely as you can. Don't let that frustration get there because, you know, you're going to hit three more limbs and you've gone 12 feet in three drives. That's, Never a fun way to have, you know, a hole during your round go, especially during a tournament round. You know, you just see your rating dropping with each of those strokes. You see your lead or your, you know, even worse, dropping with each of those strokes. So it's just basically, yeah, look for the shot that's going to make your next shot easier. So let's say you're in a situation where you think you have a line, you're pretending you can see something and you throw it, you hit that branch and you move up eight feet. At that point, do you try to go for a hero shot again and and still try to bite off as much as you can chew? Or is it at that point where you say, you know what, I'm going to accept I've lost two strokes here. I'm just going to pitch out and I'm moving on. Yep, that's that's one of the hardest pills to swallow. And, and that's what you do. You, you pitch out and you move on. You, you take that five, you take that seven, and you just get up and get to the next hole. Yeah, we've talked about that quite a bit lately, but that is a very good advice and very hard to do. So anyone so out there struggling, <laughs> anyone out there struggling with it, know everyone, even the best players in the world struggle with that kind of stuff. And even, and actually not even, definitely us intermediate, rec, advanced level players all struggle with it too. So you're not the only one and just keep chugging along and keep telling yourself <laughs> you're going to figure it out because eventually you will. And but I'm working on it as well. It's true. I mean... How many times have you had the, uh, like you said, the hero shot opportunity and you've taken it just to fail versus if you'd have just pitched out, you'd have saved yourself two strokes? I would have won the derby tournament if I would have done that. Yep. So, I, uh, pain. had that happen at a Park City tournament where super windy, you know, normal Park City tournament kind of yeah. day. And it's like, all right, I have the opportunity for a two or I could guarantee to get a three. So I took a seven. Oh so no! We, oh yeah, it was bad. <laughs> it was really bad. What? That what hole? Awesome. 
Uh, it was hole five. The the last one before the little short guy that's on the uh, dike. Oh, how? Did you just oh. keep putting uh, down the hills? Yep. Oh, uh, yeah. No. So it was it was set up on the hill, and I was at the base of the hill. And it's like, seriously, just flip this disc upside down and slide it on up and then <laughs> tap in your three. And it's like, no, I'm going to take strokes on the card, man. I'm going to take strokes on the field. And I went for the putt, and yeah, I just sailed it all the way over. And then it was a struggle. Then had a rough, you know, hit the cage, roll back away. Like, for yeah, so seven. And, and that, that was finally my lesson for taking the big pill. Just take the pill. Wow. That's – see, I've – not really had that too much, at least putting wise. I feel like this year, especially compared to the last two years, I've been a lot better about being like, eh, maybe I should just kind of throw this at the pole and just, <laughs> you know, be content with what I'm going to get. But like, like I was yep. kind of talking about with the, at the forefathers fling that Derby tournament on 17, I was pinched on the left side. I was behind the tree line and I shouldn't have thrown the justice. I don't know. I should have thrown literally any other disc in my bag and I would have been fine. But I said, I'm going to stretch out and just barely have a gap out of here. And I'm going to try to throw a forehand Annie. And it got zero Anheuser and instead rolled into the water. And I took a double bogey because I went out of bounds, which if I was going to go into the water out of bounds, I should have just done it off the drive and I could have got a bogey instead of a double bogey. So I think that was kind of my pill that I had to swallow for like upshots to be like, okay, I need to chill out. Just accept this is going to be a bogey and not make this any worse than it has to be. That, that was my moment. So I'm glad we could share that together. But oh, talking definitely. talking about the bad, I want to talk a little bit about the good, right? We've talked, we've said it a couple of times, but we haven't really gone into it. You won the Colwich tournament this year here in, in Wichita, which, and if you've been a long-time listener of the show, this is our main wooded course in the area. And it had a couple extra holes from the new Colwich West course in there. And talk to me, what was it like? What was your mindset going into the second round, knowing you were winning this thing and you know you had 20, 22 more holes of, you know, hey, all it takes is one seven and, and this is over. Like what was going through your mind? Well, okay, so it's funny you mentioned that. So the uh, the second round starts with one of the little uh, I think he was a twelve year old kid, and I was just like, Oh no, the twelve year old am kids were gonna get destroyed. And sure enough, we played through the first hole. And I think I took like a four, maybe even a five on it. This kid threes it. And I'm like, well, I'm not even taking second place today, but that's okay. And then we come to realize that this kid's actually supposed to be playing rec, not MA2. So he's played the wrong hole. He's missed at least one or two holes. So he took some bonus strokes for that, unfortunately. But after he was gone, it was just like, okay, I I can kind of be a little more crude again around the card now that the kid's not here. Um, but then it was just like, also, oh, I don't have to worry about the 12 year old spanking my butt in front of me. I don't have to see it happen. I can just hear about it happening later. And at that point, you know, as, as much as I love playing competitive, uh, competitive style golf, I, I really do try to not be super, you know, overzealous with my competition as far as just, I want to have fun. Cause at the end of the day, Disc golf is something that I do to relax. And as, as soon as I start really getting upset while I'm playing, it's like, well, why am I actually doing this? So it was kind of like, let's just have fun. And with this tournament, it was it was one of these instances where I know I'm you know doing an okay job, 
but I wasn't actually checking the scores. In fact, I didn't check the scores until the very last hole of the second round. And that's when I was like, oh, I didn't realize we were so close. Um, and so, yeah, me and uh, Jim, we were just going back and forth, back and forth. And, you know, I'd hit just a killer long two. And then he'd follow it up. And then he'd hit a, you know, par save on a shot that he should not be hitting a par save on. And then I would also hit the same thing. And so it was just so much fun going back and forth. Uh, I, I had one win prior to this, but it was at a flex C tier thing. So I didn't even know I'd taken first place until the end of the day. And after I, you know, I looked at the scores, I'm like, oh, hey, I took first. So it was kind of really nice feeling that, that the, you know, that emotions of, of I actually did this. I, I, you know, I got a, a win here. Um, but just having that competition back and forth was just so much fun. And I would love to do it again. And of all the places, like you said, it's woods. I love Colwich. Both the courses are just fantastic. And so I, I think I had a little bit of an advantage as far as playing the woods golf there, but had a couple really lucky shots that probably shouldn't have gone in and a couple really, really unlucky shots that should have gone in. But at the end of the day, you know, just had a fantastic time playing and just, you know, having that much fun being out at one of my absolute favorite courses to play. It was just a, a great time all over. And the, the best part, honestly, though, is how much money we were able to raise for the scholarship foundation. I think they said we raised like, I don't remember if it was a four or a five digit number, but they raised quite a bit and they have been doing just a phenomenal job with that. I, it was definitely a four digit number. Uh, that was, yeah, that was so much fun. And I know I was, I can't remember if I was chase card or if I was third card, but I definitely had a couple of backups where I either was watching you in the first round and I was like, dude, this dude is absolutely cooking. Every time we come up to this dude, I, he does something awesome. And so that <laughs> – and that jersey that you had on was pretty sick also. Uh, um, Ducks keeps us looking pretty fly. Yeah, that was, pre- that was pretty – that was good. So something that I know I struggled with during that tournament was the constant backups. We had a backup on dang near every single hole, and it just took my mental game out of what was going on. How were you able to stay locked in during those backups? You know, for me, I, I normally feel like they I get iced during the backups myself. Um, so a part of it is just to, again, stay relaxed, just keep calm. Don't think about what's happening with the rest of the field. I know a lot of people during those backups, that's when they're checking the scores and they're like, okay, I got to do this, do that. And so it's just like, you know, stay calm, stay relaxed. Just if, if your card is cool with just talking and chatting, do that. Uh, maybe kind of watch the other people that are playing. And, and it's a nice thing that you can be a bob for – five cards ahead of you, you can watch those 20 shots. And so you, maybe you have an idea of what to do or maybe what not to do. Maybe they'll give you an idea of a line that you didn't think about taking, or maybe they'll show you the line that you were going to take was a bad idea. So, uh, sometimes, you know, look, look at the good side of it. Look at the silver linings on these kind of things. Yeah. I think something that I kind of want to do is I almost want to take these headphones that I'm wearing right now these noise canceling ones, I know I can do it with AirPods also, but I know I'll be able to hear less if I have these on. And the next time I have a backup, I just want to turn my music up so loud that I can't hear anyone else while not damaging my ears and just absolutely just zone the heck out. Because mm-hmm. I know for me, especially like in the first round, for whatever reason, I really, really try my best to not let any nerves get to me and just be chill, good vibes, all those things. But for whatever reason, I can always feel that pressure in my chest and I can, I just can't quite play the way I want to. But then in the second round, I'm like, what am I doing? I've had my Wendy's four for four. 
I'm just out here chilling. Like, you, you know what I'm saying? So like, I think that might be the next step for me personally is just make sure I have some noise canceling headphones and just go into my own little world. Dude, uh, in the past, I've even brought books with me just because like I'm, I'm in a tournament. There's probably going to be a backup. So I'll just sit here and read a few pages of my book. Yeah, I like that. That's also a good idea. Yeah, the one thing that I hate the most, I've said this so often lately, is when we're all just sitting there and then somebody just starts reading the scores of everyone. I'm like, oh, no, 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 stop. <laughs> That's my and kryptonite, no. Literally, and then, I, and then I get like a bogey or a triple bogey and I'm like, yep, well, this was fun. I'm glad I'm here right now. But yeah, that, all, all good that things to work on. That actually is uh, perfect. I was going to ask you, so you said you didn't check the score to the last hole of the final round. Yeah. Um, is that something you normally do when you're in tournament play or any kind of play, or do you uh, usually check I the scores? I do not. I, I, personally, I don't care to know what the scores are unless I'm playing with a, a notorious cheater, in which case I'll be like, all right, let's double-check the scores after every hole. Um, but for me, yeah, like I, I hate carrying the score card because I have to check the scores on every hole. And so it's just like, you know, letting that get in your head. So, yeah, I, I generally don't check the scores. But at that point, there was just a tiny backup in that hole. I'm like, well, you know, we're here. And I know we're really close. So how close are we? Oh, we're really close. And then it was kind of one of those situations like, okay, I need to not screw this up. And I can actually get the win here. And, yeah, it was one of those things where I didn't have the best drive. And he didn't have the best upshot. And so we basically pushed the hole. So I, I took it off of that. So that was... That was different, but yeah, more often than not, this guy does not know, want to know what the scores are. It's like, bad, I know, I'm doing bad, thank you, we're good. <laughs> yeah. I think I need to try it, because I think that's part of the reason I struggle sometimes. I don't know. Could be. You need yeah. to give it a Could shot. Could be, yeah, I mean, you might as well give her a shot. Uh, have, have you ever played with anyone cheating? Have you ever caught anyone cheating? Uh, me, personally, uh, I, I can't, I, I won't name names, but uh, yeah, there was one event that happened uh, within the last couple years where I was not paying 100% attention, I will say, to this person's score. But at the end of the day, uh, it was there was a few holes where it's like, really? Because I'm positive you had at least three throws, and you're telling me that you got it in two, and I'm, I think this may have even been at four. Um, so maybe a, a stroke here, a stroke there. Uh, so you got to watch out for them, and, and more often than not, they're known, and I was already warned in advance that this particular person might do something like that. So, yeah, it was kind of uh, not a shock when it happened. But uh, it's it's frustrating. It's like there's no reason to do that at all. So, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a difference between getting mixed up and accidentally saying the wrong thing and then somebody correcting you and you being like, oh, yes, no, hey, yeah. actually, I did forget about that. You are 100% correct. And then there's a big difference between being like, no, I got this and like actively trying to cheat your way yeah. Yeah. into doing better. Because with anything in life, what's I mean, what's the point? Like, are you going to go home being like, yeah, bro, I cheated them out of 10 strokes and I won the event. <laughs> No, no, you didn't. No. Like, no, you didn't. So, yeah. Okay, well, hey, I think this has been so much fun so far. But, David, let's get into your hot take. What do you got for us tonight? Oh, man, as far as disc golf goes, growth. It's insane. We've talked about it before. We're seeing so much growth. I mean, I believe they said that the PDJ number 222,222 just got shut. Yeah. Can you believe we have that many PDGA numbers? Now, granted, not all of them are active, 
Uh, but with growth comes tons of people. Case in point, I went to a league last year, uh, just a regular weeknight league, and there was over 70 people there, and I only recognized three of them. Three. So I, I wow. got to say growth. So, you know, just be cognizant of your, your fellow golfers. You know, teach etiquette where you need to and abide by etiquette when you should. Um, and just uh, help us keep an eye out on those vandals because that's one thing with growth comes uh, the bad with, with the good. So, I mean, you guys have seen it posted on Facebook just as much as I have. I think we've probably had at least half a dozen baskets stolen or, or vandalized within the last like two years or so. And that's just ridiculous. So also keep an eye out on your buddy's backyard. If he's got a basket that looks like it used to belong somewhere else, maybe call him out on it. I was just going to say, that's a great point. I was also going to, I was also going to add to it. Um, I need to do better at this myself. When you see, you know, beer cans, soda pop cans, just trash in general out at the course, make sure you are picking it up. Quinn and I talk about it. We both need to do better about it, but, uh, just, just make a point to try to keep the courses clean especially in the areas where maybe you don't have many courses and you're, you want your city to bring more courses on board. Like, you know, keep the park that the course is at nice and clean and who knows, maybe they'll notice that and they'll, they'll be more willing to open up another course. Oh yeah. Two, so. Yeah. You got to go on those garbage rounds. I mean, I've seen guys go through and probably fill up three to five, uh, pretty good sized bags just in one round. So. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know how feasible this is because I've never designed a course before, but just a trash can, like every like four to five holes would be great. It would go a long and would way. hopefully alleviate a lot of those issues. And, you know, maybe it's whoever's the key master to the baskets, you know, when you change the baskets or once a month or whatever it is, just go pick up the trash real quick. Or, you know, when there's a league night or change it, I don't know, something. But that would definitely, in my opinion, go a long, long, long way. Uh, to kind of helping that problem. Yeah, I mean, pack it in, pack it out. You you got to come prepared to, to haul your own trash off. So, I mean, like, I know if I'm going to be coming out to the course with any sort of snacks and stuff, I've got a little bag that I could throw all my trash into. Uh, so, yeah, then yep. and of course, even better is taking more crap off the course than what you came with. If you can do any sort of cleaning, fantastic. Right. I can't uh, help but remember that one of the times we played with the little kids, we kind of used them as our slave labor and... Uh, had them help us clean up the course. Like, all right, anyone who collects 20 pieces of trash, blah, blah, blah. And they, they did a good job. So we had to get the kids doing that a little more frequently. Yeah. The next time we go play, Trenton, you can uh, bring a trash bag and I'll just get in it. And then you can take the trash <laughs> off of the course and the course will be a better place. <laughs> there we go. Oh, that works. Goodness. I don't know. We'll have to bring a wheelbarrow too. So, you know, that'd be a good idea. Yeah. Like, you know, Hey, everyone, adopt a hole. Like, hey, this is my hole, hole five. I'm going to keep hole five clean. Yeah, that's a really good point. Not a bad. Right. Well, I think that was great. I think uh, there's not a whole lot to debate there. I think we all agree. Stop vandalizing. This is why we can't have nice things. Pick up your trash. Just be respectful of other people also. You know, there's there, you're going to come to a point where in, let's say, two years, and you know, you've been listening to this podcast and you've continued to grow your game, and now you're like – the good one and the new person who just started listening to this podcast is trying to catch up and learn and they're taking a little bit longer just be respectful when you try to play through them and stuff like that it's so annoying when when you, yeah 
no no more words said there but let's get into the ace round these are the same five questions that we ask all of our guests to see how their answers differ maybe hear some awesome stories and some great tips Trenton, why don't you start us off with the first question you got it all right david so you are taking a beginner to get their first discs what putter mid-range and driver are you recommending all right, I'm going to pretend that the uh, first person is going to be me uh, when I first started, and I wish somebody would have given me a warden, a warship, and a musket because the warden is a fantastic disc. Uh, it's a pretty straight shooter. Uh, I, I've, again, been practicing lately with uh, getting a, a flick shot with the warden. Uh, it really helps to go out to those junior courses, you know, to work on stuff like that. Um, and then kind of same thing with the warship, kind of a more neutral kind of flying disc, maybe a little on the understable side, depending on the plastic you have. And then the musket I find is a disc that I can actually throw both backhand and forehand, uh, fairly reliably too. It's not too fast. It's, you know, it's a, it's a 10 speed fairway driver. Uh, it's not too slow. Uh, so it's, I think that that would be a nice little trio of discs to get started with in, in order to, to really enjoy yourself pretty quickly. Nice. Yeah, those are definitely some good suggestions. Second question we have for you. What is the favorite course you have played and one course you have yet to play that you want to cross off your bucket list? All right. Well, that's an easy question for the first half. Eagles Crossing out in Hawk Point, Missouri. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's got to be on tons of people's bucket lists. Uh, I, I mentioned the Ninja Branch earlier, a group of guys I play with. We actually went out there in October for uh, the birthday for one of them, Mr. Jose Rodriguez. Uh, and we first played Harmony Bends, which when I played Harmony Bends, that was the best course I'd ever played. And then the next day we went and played Hawk Point, uh, or sorry, Eagles Crossing. And it was in weather similar to what we're having right now. It was just raining cats and dogs. I mean, seriously, the first 12 or 13 holes, we were drenched. I mean, just completely poured on us the whole time. And I would do it again in a heartbeat. I would pay the fee. At the time, we paid $25 per person per round. Uh, it was like a Saturday, I think was when we had our tea time and then they're, they've increased their prices, but even then it's still totally worth it. That is definitely a course that you sh you should get out there. I mean, it's, it's just the next day over granted. It's a little bit of a trek to get out there, but it had so much to offer between the shots, the views, uh, the amenities there on the course, just definitely, definitely get that one out, out of the way if you can. Yeah. I think we're going to need to make that trip sometime, Quentin, make a little, little trip out of it i don't know you playing in the rain i'd probably i would i would have rethought but maybe i'm just a wimp i don't know well you know that was a benefit of playing up in seattle too was i learned how to play in the rain that's a good point. pretty early on as well so I, I i think i had just a slight advantage to that too um but as far as the second part of your question a, a course on my bucket list i would say at this point probably any course in uh in europe I would love to go play. Uh, may, maybe that'll happen someday, but but for right now, a bucket list. I'd say in the U.S., uh, I would love to get out and play Blue Ribbon Pines. All right. So sounds like another road trip for you. Right. The third question for you is: What is one tip you would tell your beginner self, knowing what you know now? Uh, stay away from those high speed drivers. Just because the speed's higher doesn't mean that your distance is going to be further. Uh, so yeah, more, uh, even after having played for many years, I found myself still getting in trouble with them. So 
uh, at one point I took every high speed driver out of my bag for almost a solid year. The fastest disc that was in my bag was an 11 speed and that wasn't even getting hit too frequently. I was, I was really leaning heavy on the, the nines and tens. Um, so yeah, just work your way up, literally work your way up to those. Yeah, that's absolutely a good tip right there. Fourth question we got for you. What is your favorite memory playing disc golf? <laughs> uh, I got to say, uh, probably back, I think it was in 2015 over at Eastminster Church. Uh, I was playing with my brother and his friend, and I was telling them how just the week prior, I had had a metal cage hit on this particular hole, and I was like, oh, you're pretty excited about it. And so his friend's like, well, I want to see you hit a hole in one right now. I'm like, well, I'm not necessarily going to be able to do that. He's like, well, you said you can, so I want to see you do it. So, of course, I'm like, all right, dude, just for you, I'm going to throw this disc into that hole on one throw. And then I did, and it was such a struggle to keep myself from freaking out. So when I turned around and looked at them, I mean, both of them just jaw on the floor. I was like, all right, now what do you want me to do? And, I mean, that was just, that's never going to happen again. I can tell you that, but it was just so phenomenal for that to happen that would be so cool i'm gonna start doing it on every video now i'm like you, you should right, Quentin, it's i mean it's a this is for game, you man. wow just send it that is great i hope to have something like that that'd be amazing oh it that's was a, it was so that's fantastic. a great memory <laughs> all right here's the last question for you what is the biggest mistake you see newer players make um, and that has to go back to the advice I would have given myself younger uh, as a younger player. Those high-speed discs, they're more often than not, they're going to get you in trouble more than they're going to help you early on. Uh, I mean, yeah, there's, there's some diamonds in the rough out there that could probably throw them pretty easily right off the bat, but most of us are not like that. So, you, you know, baby steps. Take it slow, learn your putters, learn your mids, and then move on to your drivers. Love that advice. Love this episode. David, this was so much fun getting to know you, getting to know more about your story as well, learning a thing or two from you. Where can people continue to uh, follow your journey and connect with you? Um, you know, I am kind of an old school guy. I, I do have uh, a Facebook and I believe I have a Twitter that I probably used to enter some contest ages ago. Um, but it's just, just going to be finding me out of the course. I, I play Oak more often than not. Um, and then any of the area courses, uh, you'll probably find me there some, some nice, bright, sunshiny day this summer. Heck yeah, man. Well, hey, David, so much fun you. having you on the podcast. If you guys enjoyed this podcast, make sure you leave a like rating if you're watching on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. We're on the road to 1,000 subscribers, so we would definitely appreciate your help over there. Those five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify are also highly appreciated. If you haven't already... We've talked about it at the beginning of the episode, but check us out on Patreon. We have some awesome stuff going up on there, and you can be like David, and you can also get on a podcast episode with us. So check that out. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode, and we will see you guys next week. <laughs>